As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey, while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60, and I am thrilled to be joined by L.A. Kings scout, a barrier-breaking member of the hockey community, Blake Bolden. Blake, I'm so excited to do this. Thank you for for joining us. I'm thrilled to have you. Of course. I'm excited to be here. This is awesome. The athletic is amazing. You guys have pumped me up so much. (laughs) Oh, we're we're just doing our job. You are, um, yeah, that's... I'm thrilled to have you. I, I think um, the last time we spoke, it was we did the 40 under 40, and mm-hmm. um, it was I, like I, it, when I say last time, it, like we talk all the time. That, I think that was the first time we spoke, and it was it was great to talk to you. But even more, it was so fun to talk to people in the hockey world about you because of just the respect and uh, you know almost awe that that you know when they when they would chat about you, it was like it's really cool to see somebody who's so universally. I'm um, respected like that. It was really fun to do. Oh wow! No idea. That's amazing. <laughs> Seriously? Oh my gosh! Uh, um, so I, I, there's so many different directions to start, and and here's where I wanted to begin this conversation because I know in the past you've you've connected with with girls in hockey, and one of the areas you've done that is through mental skills and. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this convert. I love this topic, and I love this as a as a jumping off point when I talk to people that are into this space because I'm into it. I'm into you know growth and development. I'm into finding ways to do that. And I I wanted to start with with you there and kind of get your sense on what that looks like when you're talking to not necessarily just girls in hockey, just people in the hockey space when you're talking in the mental side. Yes, absolutely. I think the mental side is something that is often overlooked. But our mental is really just what controls everything. It controls how we respond to certain stimuli, good or bad. You know, especially when you're playing a a high-level sport, something like ice hockey, where everything's happening and moving so fast, it's important to take care of your mental. So I take, you know, breath work, meditation, mindfulness, setting goals, affirmations, self-development very seriously Mm. because I realize how much it's helped me over the years. And and it's just a simple thing, right? Just check in with yourself and and ask yourself how you're doing and be real with yourself. But I just want to share that to as many people as I can because you can work out, you can lift weights as much as you humanly possibly can. But if you don't check in what's what's under the hood, then, you know, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. What does when, when you talk about mindfulness and in, in kind of your daily structure, how does that look on a daily basis for you? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I'm a firm believer of just waking up with an intention. Um, and mm-hmm. It's just very easy. You can just wake up and state, you know, the very few things that you're grateful for and you know, it could be something as simple as I'm grateful that I can see and I open my eyes and just being positive first thing in the morning can set your day up for success. So I just say a couple of 
uh, gratitude statements. Uh, I definitely do some breath work. Yesterday, I actually had to do a presentation for the NHL and the Player Inclusion Committee, and I was really nervous because I was in mm. front of all of these heavy hitters in the game, right? Owners, GMs, but Gary Batman and speaking on behalf of my committee and I had to do some major breath work. I put on my headphones. I listened to some, you know, powerful inspirational music. And I was like, you know what? I got this, right? And that's the, the type of stuff that I want to give to other people. So just setting the intention, sitting down, doing breath work, maybe jotting down some things that you want to achieve uh, for the day. Um, and then, you know, crushing it. You got to crush the day after that. Are you uh, are you a journaler or like do, do you are you that intentional with it every, like on a daily basis? Um, you know, I I am like a small journaler. I'm not someone who's like writing up all of my thoughts and feelings and emotions, but I just write down like you're a badass. Like keep going. These are your goals for the next <laughs> three months. Like these are the things that you want to achieve today or next week. So it's not like a full journal. It's more like little notes and quotes and things like right. That. Right. Um, I, I would love to dive into the player inclusion. I, I didn't realize that, that you're, you're fresh off a meeting with people at the league. And just to give some background, just just so I can – the listener, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a group that has some former players, um, you know, Kevin Weeks, Anson Carter, guys like that, some current yeah. players. Uh, yeah, I think P.K. Subban and Ryan Reeves yeah. and yep. Jacob Slavin and, yeah. you know, and then some women hockey players, yourself and, and – or, or former and current mm-hmm. – um, yeah. Sarah Nurse, Julie Chu, Megan Duncan, yeah, Megan's on it, yeah. So can can you? What was the focus of the meeting? If you're allowed to share as much or as little as you can, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, generally, uh, the Player in- Inclusion Committee, uh, as a group, you've mentioned all those amazing game changes in our sport. Generally, we're just trying to figure out ways to empower players and connect with and engage with our community and our hockey culture. So we kind of just broke down little recommendations that we've had for the executive inclusion committee. Um, the, like I said before, the GMs, the owners and things like that and people like that. Um, yeah. So I, I probably won't go into too much detail about that sure. just because I'm not so sure, uh, but you know, we're, we're, we're developing a plan right and the NHL is taking it very seriously because they don't want um, this 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 snowball effect that's been happening over the last year to just be a moment. And we're right. always saying we don't want it to be a moment. We want it to be a movement. We want it to be something that's sustainable that can uplift our hockey community. Do you, when you say the NHL is taking it serious, I think there, there's probably people that wonder how true that is. And this is not to be, you know what I mean? They, they see there's been some friction, I guess I would say, with the Hockey, D, Hockey Diversity Alliance. And, mm. and so, w- w- but you're on the inside, so you can speak to it better than any of us can. When, when you see these owners or these GMs or you talk to Gary and Bill, what do you see them receptive, maybe more than people realize? Or what do you see? Well, the NHL is, is you know, the, the biggest lead that we have as far as our space in the hockey community. So if you're the biggest and the baddest in terms of power, there are always going to be things said about what you could be doing more. Sure. You know, and, and I think, you know, there's so many things that are going on, right? We didn't even have... A, a, a playoff the, the way that we would have liked with fans and people involved and everyone's worried about keeping our players safe so there's so many things that are happening right now and, right. and I can I can say this from experience the fact that the NHL is taking the time and people like Gary Bettman and Bill Bailey and Kim Davis and and the list goes on and on of people who are sitting down taking the time and listening to then act something that I, I don't I don't know how many women have ever presented to the NHL executive mm. You know, even the fact that that is happening, that means that the ball is rolling and moving and things are going to be changed uh, for the better, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you, and I think we have seen, again, it's never as much as people want, and I always want to give that caveat, but we have seen some some movement in terms of, front office hires and this maybe it's a hard time to say this right now because we, you know 
the Penguins just announced their moves, and you know it's it's Brian Burke and Ron Hextall who have been around a, a long time. But where is in terms of growth in that area and and finding new voices and diversifying front offices? I mean, we've seen it with what the Kings are doing with you. You know, Brett Peterson mm-hmm. gets the job in Florida. Your you know your role is you, you you've been a prominent voice in in LA. Where do you see that? growth and you know how do you assess the, the the job that you know individual teams are doing um i think it forces us all i always like to talk about this it's a little bit of like a soft competition it's like how are we being the most progressive franchise or club that we can be um, yeah and people like seattle who are doing such mm. amazing work and, and being extremely inclusive that and shedding light on what everyone's doing makes you kind of internalize it Hmm. Okay, well, what are the puzzle pieces that we need to put together to, to stay uh, up and evolve as a, as a club? So I think it's nothing but great, right? I think now we're in a time that we're very excited and we're giving people their flowers and their kudos. And it's not to say let's just hire, you know, people that aren't qualified, like Brett Peterson. I mean, come on, look at his resume. Yeah. It's amazing. He deserves this position. And, and people like Cami Granado, who is an Olympic gold medalist, the first ever, right? So we have such amazing people, and especially retired athletes. Um, we discussed this in our leadership committee. I mean, we want people to stay within the sport, that mm-hmm. have passion for the game, that can contribute so much more. Um, because, you know, different, different voices and different perspective really brings about that change that we want to see. So hopefully it just sparks that. Aha! Okay, so what what can we do, be doing better? Right, right. I know you have in the past have described your your hiring and even your interactions with Luke Robitaille, which led to it as serendipitous. Can you mm-hmm. tell the story of of running into him and and I think it, <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was with uh, while you were with Renee Hess, right? Yes, absolutely. I was with Black Girl Hockey Club and Renee Hess and her amazing. Uh, fan base, um, bringing people of diverse backgrounds, specifically women, into hockey spaces. And uh, I had reached out to her and I asked if I could join in on all the fun. It was honestly the first time I had ever stepped foot into Staples Center. And what Black Girl Hockey Club does is they bring this group of, of diverse backgrounds into um, an NHL facility. They watch the games. They get like this red carpet rolled out for them. And of course, as awesome as Luke Robitaille is, he's going to introduce himself to the group. <laughs> and um, I saw him and we were kind of like in the Zamboni area. And I yeah. saw him and I was like, oh my gosh, this is Luke Robitaille. Like we were literally just taking photos next to his statue like five minutes ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we, we sparked up a conversation. Uh, Kwame uh, Mason Kwame was there from Soul on Ice podcast, and he was like, you should mm-hmm. go talk to him, you should go talk to him. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So uh, I talked to him, and he knows all about girls hockey, right? He's a progressive. He's always trying to think about you know, what's going on in the hockey space. And he was like, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is so awesome and amazing. You're standing up for what you believe in. Um, and he literally just like flipped the switch and was like, have you ever thought about being a scout? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, I'm meeting like a childhood idol right now. Uh, no, I've never thought about it, but I'm definitely interested, right? Um, I'm kind of in like a limbo situation between mm-hmm. a playing and what I'm going to do with my career. So, of course, I was going to say yes and think about the opportunity. And shortly after that, I was going up to Staples Center for the second time, watching another Kings game, meeting. Um, key personnel within the organization, Rob Blake, um, Nelson Emerson, um, mm-hmm. people that are movers and shakers, obviously, and make decisions. So seeing if it would be a good fit and then interviews and figuring out if I know the game as much as everybody thinks that I do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> from there, it was it was good. Um, when I talked to you, you, were, you, 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 said, you said you were kind of in this – this mode of just trying to to learn the process and and really work mm-hmm. you know work through it and and now here it is a second season. I would just be curious where you are in that process, especially when you factor in 
COVID and the restrictions yeah. we're all under and, and trying to assess players uh, for, as media or as scouts. Uh, what is that like for you on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I started January 3rd. That was like my first scouting job ever. So it's been a little bit over a year. I'm definitely a lot more comfortable than I was since then. Yeah. Um, right now, it's just uh, video scouting and using a lot of our network or platforms uh, to rewatch games, which is nice because you can press pause and play and go back mm-hmm. and, and look at things a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, I, I also went through my first draft with Quentin Byfield and all of our other amazing prospects. Uh, I got to watch my first NHL playoffs where I was really invested in the games more so than I had ever been watching the mm-hmm. NHL and obviously Worlds, watching our prospects just crush it. Um, and yeah, it's it's been such a learning curve, right? And everybody... And the organization is constantly giving me little tidbits and reaching out to make sure that I'm okay and that I know what the heck is going on. Um, and I'm definitely not afraid to ask questions. Um, I, I probably ask uh, Nelly questions all the time and he's, and he's so gracious. He's just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you need? Um, but that's what you need. Right. And if you want to be or excel at anything, you just have to dive in and, uh, Feeling, feeling good, feeling good right now. What, what do you think the the um, hardest part of the learning curve was? Just going in cold and then to, to try to do it. Uh, I think really like time management and mm. um, at this at the time that I started scouting, I was also playing. So it was like, okay, I'm going to watch this game at this time. I'm going to travel this weekend, and there was a certain number of games that I had to see in person versus the games that I'd watch online. Um, so the time management aspect was really challenging, but now it's uh, it's all online. So I can watch the game as many times as I want and be in the comfort of my living room and my fireplace. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, it's really easy um, right now. And I wouldn't even really say easy, but it's, it's right. less challenging. Um, than getting in the car and scheduling driving and coming back and then putting in game reports like that. But I'm just I'm just happy to be here, honestly. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that I work with such an amazing organization like the Los Angeles Kings. And yeah. we've got such great initiatives coming up and working with children and trying to do the best we can. And then obviously the scouting aspect is keeping me busy too. Yeah, what was I would love to get your perspective of Quentin Byfield and and you you mentioned that draft and again it's a, a, a historic moment for him and and what what did you think of him as a player and then getting to meet him and getting getting to know him? Well, I've never met him yet. Um, oh, I'm making assumptions he here. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no assumptions. We're we're just trying to keep the players safe. So yeah, uh, special personnel and doctors and trainers and. Um, development they're all in the mix and i'm just here on the side just doing my job so um i've never met him but he seems like an awesome guy he seems uh very light i think we might be doing a little interview later with akil thomas uh this month Mm. but um he's a powerful guy right he is explosive he's dangerous he watching him in worlds was fun when he had that six-point game Mm -hmm. against switzerland um yeah, he, I, I, I just really look forward to the development, right? And I think being someone who has now been with the franchise for an entire year, I'm understanding the, the nuances of, okay, we drafted this kid from the OHL, and now he's with the HL. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why isn't he playing in the big club? You know, but the development is so important and, and getting your feet wet and understanding what it's like to be a pro. And it's really cool to see. It's so cool to see those guys. I mean, their power play is great. I think it's really fun to watch. Um, and I can't wait till they're like ready to do Rocket LA Kings jersey and, and skate in Staples Center. It's like the Kings as an organization are fascinating because I, like we just rolled out and we have our organizational rankings that done by one of our prospect writers, Scott Wheeler, and he had the number one and it's just loaded. Like it's got to be the energy there as an organization. I know, you know, it's not always where you want it to be on the ice in the moment, but mm-hmm. as an organization, you guys have to be really energetic and excited about where things are headed. So energetic. It's, it's, 
it's like I picked the best year (laughs) to be a scout um, and to just be involved in such development. We have so many amazing prospects and I'm just like, I just like light up every chance I get to just watch a, a watch an Ontario rain game because they're, they're great. Like they're, they're so smart. They're so fast. They're very confident with their puck handling and the movement. Mm -hmm. Their hockey IQ is up and, I just, it's like, whoa, they're so good now. Imagine if they put a few more pounds on them. Imagine when they're like super confident and on the big stage and it's, it's just going to be great. Um, there, that's one of my favorite coaches too, down there, John Robleski, who mm-hmm. I spent a, a week with in Sweden when he was coaching the U18 teams. He's a fun guy and, and he's not afraid to let the talent shine. That's what I like about him. Yeah. A lot of guys are getting great looks. So, yeah. so that's, that's awesome. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so you started skating or playing as a seven-year-old, which seems perfectly normal and young enough to to start a sport, but people in the hockey world will understand you're probably about six years behind everybody else <laughs> at that point. Did you feel it like when you when you were out there as a seven-year-old? Was it was it like, and I'm sure you weren't thinking like that, but like, did you feel like you're playing catch-up as you were jumping into the sport at that age? Uh, <laughs> Oh, I just got a flashback of the ice. Um, yeah, I I definitely felt just inadequate in every sense of the word when I saw the Cleveland Lumberjacks on the ice. I was like, oh my god, they make it look so easy. Like I can do mm. that, right? Mm, no, you can't. <laughs> like, you're gonna need to uh, develop your skills a lot more. Um, I actually was just talking to my aunt who told me a story about the first time I got on the ice and she was like, you know what, Blake, like, I just remember you falling down and getting up and you came off the ice and you're like, auntie, I'm going to get this. Like, I'm going to do it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I said that. That's so cute. Um, but she's like, look at where you are today. You know, aunties, I gotta be like your biggest cheerleader. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, I was, I wasn't great. I wasn't great until like my second year. It took me a full two years to learn how to stop on my left side. I would go to all these hockey camps and I'd be like, what's with, what's with her not stopping on her left side? <laughs> I was just afraid. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a learning curve and it took me a while. Um, what, what kept you at it? Just competitive in your competitive side or what, like it must what kept have, you on the ice? Yeah. It must've honestly, like, I think, it had to have been right. Cause I wasn't good. It's not like I stepped on the ice and I was like a young Sidney Crosby. I, I was terrible. I didn't even know how to hold a stick. I had like a Sherwood hundred flex wood stick <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, my pants were too high. I had a gap between my shades and my blazers, and I just looked like an absolute mess. But I think, I think something that, I love to share with especially young diverse kids. It's just skating Mm -hmm. is so fun. You know, it doesn't matter if you fall down and you don't know how to do it, but it's just, it's so much different than running or walking or doing anything else because you're, you're just connected in a different way on the ice. And I thought it was magical. So I wanted to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. In in kind of researching some of this, you know, you as a you're a girl playing on the boys team, which you know presents its own challenges. 
and uh, you know you're you're you know you're also a, a, a black girl playing on the boys team, and which is its okay. own thing. And and you said at one point, and I, I forget what interview this was, that at times the parents were worse than the kids, which oh, yeah. is heartbreaking to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think that was? Like, what? That's you know, what, why do you think parents were the hardest ones? Oh, well, I I don't think I'll ever be able to answer that question, and it is heartbreaking, right? Yeah. If you think of someone who's supposed to be on a level of, um, I don't know, certain level of enlightenment or maturity that they are actually raising another human. <laughs> and, right. Um, I guess the apple doesn't fall from far from the tree, which I I guess experienced when I was playing because those mm. same kids that would say the crazy stuff to me were the were related to the parents that would be shouting and screaming and, and saying disrespectful things and I just leaned heavily on my mom you know my mm. mom was someone who sat me down and she just told me that this isn't something that you need to worry about this is not an issue that is on you Right. That is something that they're dealing with. And you don't Mm. need to hold that. And I I listened and I was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to let that bother me because if it's not on me, it's not on me. Mm. Yeah. You said your mom really led by example and in her work ethic. What what was her biggest influence on you? Oh, man. Yes. I mean, my mom's work ethic is, is unparalleled, really. Like when I was a young girl. It was just her and I, she had me when she was 21. So we had our own hardships and I saw her sacrifice and work multiple jobs. And I just kind of took all of her sacrifice and wanted her to um, know how seriously I'm taking that, you know? Mm. So I wanted to give back to her in a way that, okay, mom, I'm going to get us a full scholarship to college. I'm going to be educated. I'm going to be, you know, the best that I can be just so that your sacrifices are, are valid. So I think we had that tandem ever since I was like, you know, three years old and I could understand and see how much she was working hard for me to get to where I am today. That's a pretty high level of self-awareness as a child you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i i think my parents were working hard and but i wasn't i didn't know i was like i'm a kid and i want to go do things and i was pretty self-centered i would say (laughs) um like i don't know a lot of kids that are that would recognize the effort you know their that their parents are putting into it yeah well i think my mom was she was she verbalized it she let me know you know she wasn't someone who was going to let me talk to her any kind of way she she was a disciplinary, but she was also loving in her own right. But she she really was the person that set my mind to like know how to work hard, to know how to have bad things happen to me or her and how to respond to it and change it in something that can be used positively or fuel for the future. Hmm. What went into the decision to, to move? Or let me ask it this way. How old were you when... You went to Lake Placid to go to Northwood. I was fourteen. Okay, so so what went into that decision, and and you know that's a that's a big move for a fourteen year old. Yeah, I was really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like college. Um, yeah, you know, I I remember I was playing on a boys team, and I remember um, the brother of the head coach of Northwood was some sort of uh, scout or recruiter or something like that. And he reached out to Tom Broderick, Broderick, who's the coach of Northwood, and was like, hey, listen, like you got to look at this girl. Uh, She's from Cleveland, Ohio. I think if you were to get her to Northwood School, it would be be exceptional for your program. It was Mm -hmm. kind of like building up Northwood School at that time, Um, a newer girls program, not too new, but still trying to find its identity. And I had no idea what boarding school was. So when we got the phone call, um, they obviously did a really good job selling it because my parents were interested. Um, Financial aid was extremely important for my family at that time Mm -hmm. because, as I told you before, my mom was doing a lot to get me to that point. 
and then also to add on uh, a boarding school tuition, which for anybody who doesn't know, it's not necessarily that cheap. So <laughs> no. we had to talk. We had to talk about all those things. And once we came to uh, an agreement, I drove up there. I saw the school. Uh, Tom Broderick, who I mentioned is the coach, he he actually was like, "Hey, listen, like you're going to be the only black person in the school, and it, mm. it might be hard, but just know that I got your back, and and if." you need anything, I'm here for you. And I think that gave my mom a lot of uh, security in knowing that I had someone that was going to take care of me while she was gone. Where do you think you grew the most as a player in that stretch? Mm. Uh, I think I just became more independent. I had to Mm -hmm. be on my own a lot. Um, Definitely time management with school and hockey and uh, my biggest priority was getting into a university that I wanted to go to, which eventually became Boston College, and uh, getting a full scholarship because I knew, okay, my mom was playing for boarding school. I don't know if she if we're doing college too, um, so <laughs> that was a that was a priority, and um, we made it happen. But I, I yeah. think I had my eye on the prize. I was disciplined. Um, and I had support. So I think I just grew a lot of independence and I grew up, you know? Yeah. And and so why BC? What was Boston College? Oh, I, I just thought they were so cool. I saw them play in Lake Placid. Uh, there was a Frozen Four when I was a freshman. And what was that? I don't even remember. But I was a freshman and... Um, Boston College played Minnesota Duluth and they went into like two or three overtimes and crazy enough, they lost. But I really liked how they were the underdogs and they fought back and Minnesota Duluth was a crazy powerhouse at that time. And and I looked at their history and I was like, oh, they don't have a national championship. Like maybe I want to go somewhere and win the first one for them. Um, and then I met the head coach, Katie King, at a development USA hockey camp in Rochester, New York, sometime. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so cool. The coach is cool. The school is cool. The city's awesome. Like, I just kind of like was like, I want to go to Boston College. I don't care. That's it. That's where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, I, want, I think my favorite quote that I read from you was, this would be the time where you're, you're, you'd be working into the national team at USA Hockey. Mm-hmm. And you said, I think it was last year, you said, I think it's ridiculous that you didn't play on the national team. Um, what, yeah. well, why? What, like, where did it go sideways there? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I was on the first, on the first rate team team in 2008 where we won gold in Canada. And then in 2009 where we won gold in in Germany and I thought you know I was like okay this is good um, yeah. I'm in a good spot um, I'm getting brought back to all of these camps and in, in college at BC I was doing a great job I was like defensive rookie points leader I was this I was that it, it felt right and um, I was told I don't even know what year um, because what they do in these hockey camps is they bring other college coaches in um, during these USA hockey evaluation camps and mm-hmm. they evaluate you. And, you know, I was crushing it just like my other peers were. And at some point, I think someone called me uncoachable. And um, I only knew of that because my BC coach was in the room while that was said. And she mm. told me, um, she was like, hey, Blake, like, I just want you to know what was said about you because obviously that's not true i've coached you for two years at this point and that's just not factual so when you get a smear like that i think um it kind of i you know you can imagine it's kind of it kind of turns people off and if it's a smear from someone who's powerful enough to make that decision um you know it doesn't matter how skilled you are it is what it is and i think when I look back on that, I think it was just one of those, you don't really know you're being discriminated against until something like that happens. And you're like, well, what? Like I am a good person. I, I shake my head. I ask questions. I show up a hundred percent of the time. I have the skill set. So 
uh, that's another reason why I tapped so much into the mental aspect because it broke me. It broke me so much. And I Mm. was sad. I was like, what the heck is going on? So I had to figure out how to build myself up and be successful outside of that. What did that look like that trying to build yourself back up? Um, it looked like a lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like uh, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, um, a lot of resentment. You have to go through those things first, and then you have to figure out a way to let it go and try to I feel like I'm getting emotional and try to um, find your value again. Mm. And so when I was playing professional hockey after I graduated, it was like, these little black girls would come up to me and be like, Oh my God, Blake, like I didn't know that there was a black player that was playing professional hockey. Like you're so amazing. Uh, you know, how, how can I get to where you are? And I felt a new sense of purpose, a new sense mm. of uh, wanting to give back a new sense of love for the game. So that's the only thing that saved me <laughs> really right. for those girls. Um, I I love that. And I you know it, it's interesting to me because you've said in the past like when you looked up to an athlete um it was it was maybe someone like Serena Williams, right? Like there wasn't a, a Blake Bolden to look at. Like what does it mean to you when you hear, you know, now these girls are looking at Blake Bolden. Like that's a that that's that's a game changer for a sport like hockey that needs that. Yeah, it is. It's important. It's important as I I mean you can't stress it enough the importance of it because you talk about noticing your difference when you're young and being in this space where you feel like you're alone um i remember going and being shipped off to you know camps in ontario with a bunch of boys or power skating critics or this or that and i was just the only one all the time only black person only girl a lot of the times and it was so hard but for a girl to have someone like me to look up to that they can just be like, well, you know what? If Blake can do it, so the heck can I? And that's mm. all that matters. Um, I, it, like it, it's terrible to me when I hear a phrase like uncoachable mm-hmm. connected to you because like everything you, you read or you hear, like you're the opposite of that. Like you're, you know what I mean? Like you're someone that's, that looks for every reason to improve and looks for every Avenue to improve. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and it's, I've seen that it's, that seems to be a phrase that's attached to black players. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And over and over again in the hockey space and for, for, I don't even know for whatever reason. Um, and I, like, what's it going to take to change that? It's going to take conversations like this for people to scratch their head and be like, hmm, that doesn't sound right. 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 And, it doesn't and, align with the person I know. And, 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 and really think about how we're going to act to move past that. Because at this point, there's no, there's no, when people ask me, they're like, Hey, do you think you'll ever, it's like, no, I'm turning 30. Like I have, I'm going to probably start a family. Like I'm not looking to be on the national team, but I want to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. And if you look at the team USA's roster from the very first Olympic team, there has not been a single person of color on that roster for over 20 years. And you can't say that there is no talent. I mean, we've, we've got people like Shayla Edwards representing Wisconsin University. You've got people like myself who play for Boston College. And thank gosh for Sarah Nurse, who is repping it for Hockey Canada. I mean, thank mm. gosh. And even individuals like Angela James, who I'm, I'm assuming was in the same position as me, because she was a dominant force. She should have a hundred percent been on that Canadian national team, Olympic team, right? Like, what is that? So I think, right. I think we just have to take a step back and say, Hey, listen, just because this player is different, they look different. They may act different. 
You know, they may wear Jordans to practice. They might have a little bit of swag to them. That does not mean anything about their character. And if you were a good coach, you would care to get to know your player before making any crazy statements like that. Right, right. Um, I, you know, when I talk to people at USA Hockey, there seems to be an attempt to get better in this area, I would say, uh-huh. um, at, at the grassroots level. And, and you know, they, they talk about it. It isn't a, a topic of discussion. Uh, I'm, has there ever been any – have they ever reached out to you or is there any – would you want to work with USA? Like I think that would be yeah. such an important <clears throat> connection. Yeah. Uh, well, there's been many coach changes and many, many, many changes of power, right? Um, mm-hmm. USA Hockey this past year put me on the cover of their magazine, which mm-hmm. was historical, awesome, and representational, yeah. as we just discussed. Um, does that make up for it? Not really, but uh. USA Hockey is is doing the best that they can at this moment, and I'm never one to knock down anybody that's trying, but I do think there is more to be done. And uh, just like just like we talked before, right? Like USA Hockey, the NHL, like someone can always say, we want more, we want more, we want more. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think... I think for me, what would, be ha- what would make me happy is to create a space for young kids to feel safe um all uh, young kids of all backgrounds and just to educate parents coaches players any sort of stakeholder in youth spaces um that really have hold and a grasp on this kid's impressionability and their self-worth and their value i mean that's the biggest thing for me because these the, these kids are going to be our future these kids are going to be our leaders and mm-hmm. if we don't give them, mm, let's say, a moral compass, <laughs> then um, right. that's where we fail. And if, if, if nothing else we've learned, we can't count on the parents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, so I, I always like to open up questions to people on Twitter and listeners. And one of the questions I got, and then I don't know this answer, and this comes from a, f- a former podcast guest, Megan Chaika, who's doing great things in the space of women's hockey Love and it. analytics. Yeah, she's awesome. And she wanted to know what your long-term goals are in hockey. And Ooh. so do I. So let's start. Let's, let's talk future. <laughs> let's talk future. Um, so I get this I get this question a lot. And um, if you know anything about me, it is that I am very uh, – I manifest things and I don't – I don't look crazy too far in the future because I think, you know, if you lose, if you lose, if you have too much of an expectation, sometimes that can be daunting and saddening. Um, But for me, I personally just want to work up in the ranks of the Los Angeles Kings, um, maybe in some sort of director role um, in, in obviously the community space, but then in the scouting space as well, in the operational side, it would be so cool, um, to get my first like big player. That's just going to be a game changer in our organization. Mm. Um, I hope to win, I don't know, so many Stanley cups. I can't count on my hands. Um, (laughs) I, 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 I want to, um, continue to be a voice in, in this sport and to push um, different different organizations like USA Hockey or help yes. the National Hockey League uh, in their trajectory of diversity, equity, inclusion, always, whether that be consulting or, um, you know, maybe even a position down the road. But like I said, there's nothing that's like concrete set in stone. Um, I got this job by a happenstance uh, becoming a scout and a growth and inclusion specialist with the Los Angeles Kings. So I'm just going to be grateful for what I have and do the heck of a good job at what I'm doing right now. So nobody can say anything <laughs> about <laughs> me not deserving this position. <laughs> when when you say you manifest things, what, do, what does that mean? Oh, man. Um, I, I'm I'm a big believer of just creating a great space around you and thinking positively, 
um, knowing that the future is going to be bright no matter what, you know, you're going through, whether you're going through a hard time. Like for me, when I was cut from USA Hockey, I just had to work through that. And now look where I am, right? If I had just made that Olympic team and everything was gravy, I wouldn't be able to speak so genuinely and vulnerable, vulnerably with you guys about my experience mm-hmm. and, and actually help change the game um, in that way, because clearly a lot more needs to be done. So, mm-hmm. so I'm never, uh, I never regret anything that happens. I always like, I'm always like, let's go bring it on. Like I'm ready for it. Uh, so yeah. I guess that's what I mean. Okay. I love that. Um, I wanted to, I was wondering, and correct me if I'm wrong in make in telling this this way, but you, you're the first black woman to play pro hockey and didn't realize it till after the fact, mm-hmm. you know, versus, versus in the moment. And I love the parallel. We had Willie O'Ree on here, and he tells the same story. Like, he didn't know he was b- being historic in the moment yeah. either. What are your – and I know you and Willie are close, and you're both – I think you're both in San Diego, right? We are. I follow him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are those conversations like? Like, you you guys can relate to each other in just that, you know, in ways nobody else in the world can. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like, that's just another thing, like manifestation, right? It's like, Willie O'Ree was number 20. I was number 20. We both came from Boston. Now we're living in San Diego. It's just like these things are not a coincidence. Um, so when I speak to Willie, it's, I mean, you've spoken to him before. He's just a great human. He's just so yeah. lively and energetic. And, oh, man, is he inspirational. So um, when we get the chance to just talk, when the cameras aren't on, he tells me, you know, really what he's feeling and what he's been through. And I ask him all the questions about, you know, like the deep questions that we can connect on um, us growing up and being in that position. And obviously for him and his age and the time that he grew up, I mean, just mucho respect to him because I didn't get not nearly half as what, what he got um, in, in that So, yeah, I just am so privileged that he's here to still give us that inspiration and to talk. And I'm so pumped that his jersey is being retired this year with the Bruins. Um, I think it's amazing. But but yeah, I I mean, I just wish that I could give him a big hug to congratulate him. And it's it's nice to feel as though he and I have that connection. Mm. Well, Blake, I know you got a ton to do, so thank you so much for doing this. This was an awesome conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You guys make me feel very comfortable always, so see you again. Awesome. Thanks, Blake. Of course. I want to thank Blake Bolden for joining the podcast. Um, She's great. She is a riser in the world of hockey. Um, Happy to say when we did our 40 under 40 list – last, I want to say August, Blake was number one on the list. You can just tell she's got a, a bright future as she learns the ropes in the front office, if that's what she ultimately wants to end up doing. Um, that's great. And I'm happy to say we've already recorded a next week's episode of The Full 60, and it was really fun. And it's with Sonny Maida, who is um, he runs the analytics for the Florida Panthers. I should know his exact title, and we get into it when we, uh, it's like Director of Intelligence or something great. Um, and Sonny was awesome. So definitely, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, or excuse me, well, you should be subscribed to The Athletic, but if you're not subscribed to The Full 60 um, on Apple or wherever it is you listen to podcasts, make sure you subscribe so it automatically feeds into your podcast listening device of choice. Um, but Sonny was really, it was a really fascinating conversation, especially if you're a giant dork like me and you like numbers and, and poker and um, we got in, you know, how poker and hockey relate to each other. It was great. And, you know, the other thing that happened when I was talking to Sonny made me realize how quietly good the Florida Panthers have been this year. Um, and it's and it's interesting when you see a team go through a regime change. Uh, you know, I don't know if a new front office, how that can immediately impact on ice performance. But as we sit here and record right now, the Florida Panthers are 9-2-2. Two and two. Um to start the season playing in it, you know, when you look at kind of some of the underlying stats, like they don't have a crazy PDO or, you know, their, their expected goals is, is top five in the league. I want to say like their Florida Panthers look pretty good. And it's, you know, you look at what GM Bill Zito did address some of the culture, you know, brings in a guy like Patrick Hornquist, who's off to a really good start. 
um, you know, to you know, wanted that kind of player on the team, the guy that a guy that's won, that guy that has a little bit of an edge to him. Uh, I think it's super important for the Florida Panthers to have success pretty quickly in the Bill Zito era, um, in part because they have a young center, not young anymore. Gosh, I'm getting old, but a center in Alexander Barkov who is going to have to make a decision on his future. Since I've gotten, and I haven't checked in in a while on any of this, but a guy like Barkov. Uh, if he th- believes there's a legit chance of winning in Florida, um, would probably be inclined to stay, right, as is, as they figure out what his next contract looks like. But um, if not, like this is a guy that, that hasn't had a ton of playoff success, um, probably is underappreciated because of it, and I know that's kind of a trope to say Barkov's underappreciated. But like you look right now, Huberto's got 17 points in 13 games. Barkov is over a point a game. Like these – they're – they're all been really good. The, the kind of quiet signing of Anthony Duclair is good. And while I'm sitting here talking about the success of the Panthers, I also want to highlight a story Eric Stevens wrote for us on Brett Peterson, the first black assistant GM in the NHL. I mean, a historic moment for the league. Uh, again, another Brett Peterson is another um, rising, you know, it's, you don't want to say rising star because he's been at it a while, but was top 40, under 40 again for us. He was on that list, a guy that got his start as an agent, Widely respected um, in that space, you know, beloved by people who know him. Go read Eric Stevens' story that uh, on the Athletic. Do a Google search for Brett Peterson and the Athletic, and you'll learn a lot about him. And you know, they seem to be building something the right way in Florida right now. And you know, it's early, and you can't jump to any conclusions. Um, we've seen it before. I'm sure I've said it before with the Florida Panthers. So uh, you you, you want to wait this out, but. Um, I, it's there's some smart people there. There's some early success. Joe Quenville, of course, you know is a is a great. He's a Hall of Famer coach, one of the greatest of his era. So, it's interesting to watch that come together in Florida. Uh, anyways, all right. To wrap up again, I want to encourage you to definitely check out um, Pierre LeBron and Scott Burnside's interview this week on Two Man Advantage with Doug Armstrong, who is the GM of Hockey Canada's silver medal Olympic winning team next year as we know the americans are going to win gold there but doug armstrong always a, a good insightful interview i love talking to gms and as they go through the roster process in an olympic evaluation year which it's going to be over the next year that that kind of stuff and of course he's the gm of a stanley cup contending blues team as well um so definitely check that out also if you want to leave comments uh on the athletic app on this or any of our podcasts we'd love to check those out and, and interact with you there Leave a rating um, uh, on po- Apple Podcasts. That helps out. A review helps out. And that's it. That's on, uh, No more asks out of me for you. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to Blake Bolden for joining the podcast. And have a great week. <laughs>